Good morning, Arbor. Good morning. My name is Dave, and I'm happy to be with you this morning. I get the opportunity and the privilege of directing us into God's Word. We know the series continues to chug along. It's called Questions Jesus Asked. This morning, our question is this, who proved to be a neighbor? And we know that when we've been looking at these various scripture passages, that Jesus, Jesus wasn't asking questions just to try and siphon and, and pull in information. It was educational. It was designed to go a little deeper into our souls and maybe even take us to some places that cause some agitation, cause some some need to be courageous and brave to go there in those conversations. And so this morning, we ask, who is our neighbor? Who proved to be a neighbor? Now, to whet your appetite and get you pointed in that direction, as you look at these images, see if these are the types of people that might be your neighbors, or are you neighborly in these situations? Watch carefully. It's been said that a person has two hands, one for serving self and one for serving and helping others. Today we turn our attention to Luke chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter 10. If you've got an app on your phone and want to follow along that way, that's also another route. Or you can simply look at the screen and their verses are going to be up on the screen as well. And I'm going to read a verse and make some comments, read a verse, make some comments, and we'll just bulldoze our way through the text that way. So let's start at verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. It says that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A couple of things that I notice about this. First of all, some of your translations may say a lawyer stood up an expert, a learned professional. He's an expert in religious law. And he stands up. And I'm not sure if the protocol of that day, everybody stood up when it was their turn to talk, or if this is a way of a person, typically finding this more with men, that it's an opportunity to bow up and to have a power move and you stand up, when you make your presentation or you're going to make your point with emphasis. I don't know which one it is. I just know he stood up. And it does suggest because he's going to test Jesus. Might be a power move on his part. Muscle up a little bit. And testing Jesus. Not really sure that the biblical accounts where we see this periodically, that it really ended well when you're trying to test the God of the universe. Like Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? What must I do to inherit eternal life? When we inherit inherit something, we receive something. What do I have to do to receive eternal life? This is life's most daunting and important question. Yes, today we are asking the question, who proved to be a neighbor? But the parable of the Good Samaritan is starting out with this, what must I do to inherit or receive eternal life. Truly, that is, men and women, life's most important and daunting question. You get that one wrong, and you've missed everything. 
We can be as neighborly toward others if, as we want, but if we miss Jesus, game over. More comments about that in a moment. He's asked Jesus a question. Jesus turns it around in verse 28 and says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And I like the smooth brilliance of Jesus. Here's someone that he knows is an expert in religious law who asks Jesus a question, and it's as if Jesus says, I'll see your question, and I'll raise you a question. How do you, you know what's in the law. How does it read to you? What do I have to do? Verse 27, he answered, Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Additionally, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this expert in the law is referencing at this point Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and then adding Leviticus 19.18 from the Old Testament. Every faithful, committed Jew, twice a day, would recite Deuteronomy 6, 5, memorizing the central standard of the Old Testament the maximum expression of allegiance and devotion was expected. Love God with everything that you have. Loving our neighbor as ourselves is a natural extension of, if I get the vertical right, love God with everything I have, cascading down from that, should be that extension toward the horizontal and loving others because of my love for God. As it's been said many times, love God, love people. First things first, though, love God. What must I do? Love God. As well as be neighborly. Be a good neighbor. Verse 28, Jesus replies to the lawyer's Answer, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And the force of the verb there, do this and you will live, is really implying do this as a long-term way of doing something. It is a general habit. It is a lifestyle. Lifestyle of love God, do this as a general habit, do this with long-term, and do this with long-term. Love God, love people. Verse 29, or excuse me, a couple of points on 28. So this expert answered correctly. These are textbook answers, correct answers, and Jesus affirmed his correct answers but was his heart in the right place? Was it just cerebral? Was it just a mental ascent? I know what the correct answer is. Was his heart in the right place? Now verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked. 
Hey, who's my neighbor? Was he in fact saying, hey, look, Jesus, I've got the love God part, check. Got that one checked off the list. I'm good. I'm crushing it. But I'm a little concerned about the who's my neighbor. And underneath that, I believe he's got an issue going on, and he hopes his neighbor is not some Samaritan. We'll see this a little bit later. God, I want some clarity. I want to clarify something. I want to reduce some of the ethical and moral demands of the law. I want to feel better about myself. Love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. A couple things. First of all, it's personal. Love the Lord your God. Nobody can do that for you. That's on you. Love the Lord your God. It is personal. It is comprehensive. How so? Heart, soul, mind, strength. And rather than niche out airtight definitions of here's what these four areas are like, or are there really just three areas? Let's just take it for this. It's comprehensive. Love God with everything in you. And it needs to be wholehearted. All. All heart. All soul. All mind. All strength. Now, I don't know about you, but me, I'm immediately aware, aware of I fall short. Here's the standard. What do I have to do to receive eternal life, inherit eternal life? I'm messed up. I can't do all that. And beautifully so, that's the purpose of the law. Of all of the laws, they drive us toward Christ. Because if it's up to me to keep all of this to be viewed or deemed righteous, can't do it. And that's why everybody needs Christ. Back to our lawyer friend. <clears throat> but wanting to justify himself, yes, again, who's my neighbor? Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, as you make the trip, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, give or take a mile or two, you're going to go about 17 miles. There will be an elevation loss, maybe 2,000 to 3,000 feet as you go down. And even though he's telling this parable, and it's a story to provide an illustration and a point, it really was a journey that someone could take. There were caves along the way, there were dangerous parts, and... Bad things did happen to people as they walked that road. 
verse 31. <clears throat> a priest happened to be going down the same road. So we've got this half-dead person, right? A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on by the other side. 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And in part, what's happening here in Jesus telling this parable is he's shattering the stereotype. What's the stereotype? The stereotype is the religious community has it figured out and will respond. The priests and the Levites, compassionate people that they are, shepherds that they are, they will meet the half-dead person's need. Did they? Saw the situ- they all saw the same thing. But the religious leaders, the religious professionals in the story got it wrong. Earlier this year, after I finished driving my school bus route in the Bellevue School District in the afternoon, I knew that 405 northbound was bad, and so I'm in my car and I take the bad roads, and I leave Bellevue, and I'm going uh, northbound, and between Kirkland and Redmond, I'm in the Bridal Trails area. I think, well, I'll stop by the Bartels, and you may not know this about me, but I'm kind of a heat-seeking missile for clearance items. (laughs) Oh, that's funny to you? (laughs) It's hilarious. TJ Maxx, Ross, Bartels, Marshalls, I just, my antenna's always up. It's kind of odd, but that's what you get. And as I'm walking into the Bartels, there's a woman outside. I'm going to guess maybe she's 45, maybe 50. Got a phone in her hand. As I come into the front, I'm wanting to go into the store, and she's outside, and she comes near me, and she starts having a clumsy English language trying to talk to me while showing me her cell phone at the same time. And I gather it was a woman who speaks Chinese, but she's showing me her phone, which has a cracked faceplate on it, and this immediately awkward conversation only gets more and more awkward. Come to find out, as we continue this conversation, and she starts talking into the Google Translator, I guess, and then it pops up in English, and I'm reading this, and I say stuff back, and she's looking at it, and my, my baseline default, here's where I started from. I don't start with openness. I started with closed and cynical and what is all this about? And as this conversation, awkward conversation is going on, I'm bouncing between, am I being manipulated here or is this authentic and a desperate woman? And here's what she's asking. She's communicated to me, I was brought here in a taxi I only have 15% battery power left. I don't have my recharger with me. Will you, sir, drive me back to my, wherever I live in Bellevue, and I will pay you 
once we get back there. And I'm thinking, oh, uh uh-uh. First of all, so what, I'm as, as a male about ready to go home and eat dinner with my wife, I now have another woman in my car and I'm driving back this way and I know nothing about you other than this spun story that may be authentic but is creeping me out. And her concern was, if I call the taxi again, my phone is going to crash. I won't be able to tell the taxi driver all the directions to get back there. The phone will crash. Can you just take me back and I'll pay you when we get there? And through this awkward conversation and using this mechanical cell phone device, I said, you have enough battery. Call Uber or call a taxi and you will get home. And I went into the store did my thing. I did notice she was in the store going up and down a few aisles, what appeared to me looking for somebody else. And only when I started jumping into Luke chapter 10 and realizing and wondering, am I the priest or the Levite in this story? Am I that guy? Or am I justified in the decision that I made at that time? And I don't know the answer to that. I just know it's bothersome as I jump into this text. And by the way, if you hadn't asked me to talk, Jake, I never would have had to struggle with this stuff, so thanks. (laughs) Just another gift toward me, right? Thank you, yeah. So as I've gone back and reviewed that, though, I've thought, what would I do differently? And I just came up with basically one option. If that were to happen again, I would try and call my wife and explain the situation to her and say, what do you think? Do you think I should do this? That provides a safety net for me, but then it also invites the question, well, what if you can't get a hold with Jill? Then what are you going to do? I'd probably do the same thing. And I don't even know if that's the right answer. Mistrust on my part trying to figure out me alone with this woman, and am I being manipulated? Is she authentically desperate? What is going on here, and should I be? Was I the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Well, I clearly wasn't the Samaritan because I didn't do anything for her. I left. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Arbor story number two. We have a family in our church, and I won't tell you their names, but I'm just proud of of how they are being neighborly. And there's a lot of details and backstory, but let me see if I can push a couple of things out there. This husband and wife team and their kids have a a desire and a burden and a passion on their heart and literally had been praying about, Lord, this is the direction we want to move in. And and we don't know what that's going to look like, but God, we're just ready and we're, we're positioned. What do you want to do? A few days later, six year old woman is standing on the other side of the door as the door is opened. She speaks two languages, neither of which is English. And she is communicating as they start to do the Google Translator thing. And she's saying, God led me to your door. 
Now, it is a person that they had seen in the neighborhood before and had an encounter with, but it's not like they had developed and built a relationship, but this is the woman who then circled back, knocked on the door, and said, God led me to your door. As they started to have their own cell app conversation, <coughs> it became apparent that she was probably in a bad and a dark and a dangerous place and, and, and moved the woman of the home to think, this is now, I think I'm hearing a story about human trafficking. And I've got to be a neighbor. And moved to where you can, we have a pop-up trailer at our house. You can live there. You're part of our family. And they begin to move in that direction and accommodate her and have had other interactions with her. And that woman has also attended a service here, maybe even a couple here at Arbor. And they are trying to shepherd this woman and be a neighbor in what they deem as a human trafficking and dangerous situation. Who's your neighbor? Verse 34. Regarding the Samaritan, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. A denarii was about a day's wage. So he gives him a couple of days' wages. One commentary that I looked at said, in terms of the innkeeper, that this may have been enough money for 24 days for this person to be at the inn. He said, when I get back, if there's other expenses, I'll settle up with you. Jesus to the lawyer, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 37. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And again, the, the force of this verb here, go and do likewise. Long-term way of doing something. General habit. Lifestyle. Go and do likewise. Be a neighbor. Notice that the professional expert in the religious law when he was asked, who do you, Jesus said, who do you think is more neighborly? Do you notice he said, well, I suppose it's the guy who demonstrated mercy. Did you notice he didn't say Samaritan? I think that was calculated and determined. How so? Because this Jew who is the expert in religious law... I believe, was reaching back to history past 
When Israel and the 12 tribes, and you had the 10 tribes in the northern kingdom, the two tribes in the southern kingdom, and God raised up the Assyrians to come in and lay seed a lot of Jews. In that population void, foreigners came into that area where the 10 kingdoms were, and the foreigners intermarried with the Jews, and thus began the heated and hated relational intensity between Jew and Samaritan. Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds and felt like they were dogs. And I don't believe the religious expert could bring himself to give props to the Samaritan because the Samaritan's a half-breed and a dog, and that guy got it right. I'll just say the guy who demonstrated mercy. And I don't know if that causes any visceral or emotional response when you're thinking of who you would never be inclined to be neighborly with. Oh, uh uh-uh. Over my dead body, I'm not going to be a neighbor to fill in the blank. And for some of us, maybe that's what Jesus is drilling down to expose in us. My neighbor is any one of any race or any creed or any religion or any social background, etc., 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 who is in need. Love means acting to meet needs. There are needy people close by. Application. Let's talk about our takeaways. How can we apply this? Do you recognize the logo that is up on the screen? Anybody recognize that? Someone, anyone, no one? Good Sam Club. You have answered correctly. I give you $50. The Good Sam Club is a recreational vehicle club. They go traveling together. They do stuff together. They take care of one another in their RVs. The Good Sam Club is named after the biblical account we're talking about this morning. I looked up and printed off some material from the Colorado chapter of the Good Sam Club. There's an eight-point pledge, the Good Sam Pledge. Here's point number one in the Good Sam Pledge. I will stop and give aid to fellow Good Good Sam members where safety and traffic condition permit. So if you're a good Sam Club member in your RV club, if you see somebody broken down and you can help, I'm going to stop. I'm going to use the word Sam, S-A-M, for our points of application. The S in Sam stands for this. It stands for stop. Stop. If we would just stop. That might be 80% of the tension being reduced if we would stop and make ourselves available. Though I don't have a pocket on this shirt that I'm wearing this morning, I like shirts that have pockets. I put my to-do list in my shirt that has a pocket, and there's usually a pen or a pencil right next to it. I am a list maker. I am driven by my to-do list. You know what? Neighboring is not on my to-do list. I'm the sickest rat in the laboratory. 
Honestly. This whole first point, the S and Sam standing for stop, I need to stop. I don't do well at it. Driven by my agenda, neighboring needs to be on my to-do list. Spontaneity is not, God's not into spontaneity. That was, that's not true. My wife, just here's my box. You can tell me I can run around in it, but don't ask me to run outside of it, okay? I'm sick. My wife, on the other hand, is given over to spontaneity and relationships, and she'll drop everything. That's why she's a great mom. She just married a loser, but it's been 38 years. She's still praying. (laughs) Point number one, stop. If we would just stop. The priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, they all saw the same thing. One of them stopped. The A in Sam stands for allocation. If we can get over ourselves, if we can create space and actually stop, it will require an allocation of what? Energy, time, inconvenience, resources, money, supplies. When you say yes to something, you say no to something else. If I'm going to create space and say yes and stop and help or render aid or whatever it might look like or whatever I'm going to be involved in, I'm saying no to something else. And when we say yes, we may in fact, in some measure, we might be saying yes to the mess as well because it could get complicated. It could get messy. What if it was ongoing? What if it was more than just dealing with one thing one time? Maybe that's why some of us don't stop. And the M in in Sam stands for mercy. Mercy. In this context, it means compassionate care that moves us toward action that moves us toward responding, that moves us toward getting involved. He took pity on him. And I do believe that the Samaritan, because of this Jew and Samaritan isolation and animosity, I do believe the Samaritan, he understood a thing or two about feeling exploited, ridiculed, unwanted, marginalized, and move to the sides of the society pecking order. That's where you'd find the Samaritans, out on the fringe in, the, in that sense. And I think when the, in, in the story Jesus is telling and he's referencing and giving props to the Samaritan, I think in part because the Samaritan, I know how that feels. I know how crummy that feels. And here's a half-dead person, and I'm going to go render aid because I get it. I want to ask my new friend, Ray, to come forward. Arbor story number three. Ray, if you would come forward with that mic. Ray, I just met last Sunday, and he, to me, is a great example of a guy who is making a difference by being a neighbor. Ray, asking you a couple of questions. Tell me what you're doing to be a neighbor. Tell tell us what you're doing to be a neighbor. 
A few months ago, an opportunity came up at the Monroe Regency Care Center. It's an elderly care center. And they had an opportunity to go once a month and <clears throat> sing and share some stories and um, you ha had the free time to do whatever you really wanted to do. And so God put it in my heart. That's something that I, I should do and I could do. I had the time and the resources to do it. So that's what I've been doing. for this. My, today will be my seventh time going there. And tell us, tell us why you're doing that. Well, one, the main reason why is I heard a statistic. It's a national statistic. And that statistic says that for 100 people that would go to a care facility like that, 70 of those people will never get one visitor. And that was very heart-wrenching to me to think that, you know, an elderly person just, um, you know, set apart without any visitation. And so I believe that God just put that in my heart, that it's something that I could do and I should do it. Heard that statistic. 70 out of 100 will never have anybody come and visit. Samaritan, and he took pity on them. Ray's been drawn in. The Samaritan was drawn in. What you don't know about Ray is that seven years ago, he lost the love of his life, his wife. He also lost a job, went through grief and loss in significant measure, if I can say, was mad against God, uh, mad at God for a while, and when you go through deep grief and loss, it spins you out. But he's back now in circulation, so to speak, with using gifts and resources and, and memorizing God's word and wanting to hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit and engage toward being a neighbor. And what city do you live in? What Where's your residence? I live in Maltby. Okay, Maltby and drives to Monroe to be a neighbor to senior care people out there. How has it changed you? It's changed me in deeper ways than I would ever anticipate. I've really developed a love for these people, and I find myself waking up in the morning praying for them. And relationally, it's been just really rewarding. If I'm going over to Fred Meyer to go shopping, I'll, I'll stop by because it's, it's just become a part of, of who I am. So it's been wonderful, and it's been seven months since I started. So it happened pretty quickly. It's been very very rewarding. See, and all of this is self-directed, too. Thanks, Ray. You can put the mic back. We thank Ray. I find a couple of things compelling about this. And Ray is just one guy who is stepping out in obedience to what God wants him to do, being a great neighbor to those who they break his heart. And he's shepherding them. I think we have a room full of neighbors, a room full of stories. And we're not, I'm not bringing Ray up here like, this is now the paradigm and the template for all of us at Arbor. This is one guy with the passion and responded and individually self-directed to do that. And I give him big ups for that. Stop. Allocation and mercy. 
Which one was the neighbor, the one who extended mercy? Let's pray, please.